So today we're continuing series. Let's jump right into it. If you've been involved in the business world at all, you probably know the name Peter Drucker. Peter was kind of the uh, the business management guru of the 20th century, uh, and he's famous for one particular thing. He said that every successful business asks itself two simple questions over and over and over again. Those simple questions are, what business are we in? How's business? I'm just constantly saying, what, what is it that we've set out to do? What is it that our company does? How, how are we doing? And they're constantly evaluating those two kinds of things. You put that in the context of the church, and our leader, Jesus, made it clear what business we're in. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. I'm in the business of finding lost people. Not lost geographically, of course. He's talking about people that have lost a relationship with God. That, that separation that came because of sin that has to be restored because of what Jesus did on Calvary. And I've come to restore that relationship between men and women and the God who made them and loves them. That's what I, that's what I do. So question number one is what business are we in? We are in the business of making disciples, of of healing lost relationships. Now, fast forward until the end of his time on earth, and, and here's what he said in Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20. We looked at it last week. Let's read it again. Okay, one, two, three, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying the business of the church is to make disciples, and now I'm going to go, and I am passing on the family business to you, the sons and daughters of the king uh, of kings. So you now are the managers of, the stewards of, the family business. That's you and I. And what business are we in? Hello, are you out there? What business are we in? Making disciples. That's our job, is to make disciples. Now, understand, historically, we kind of use that word discipleship to mean this person's come to Christ, and now we have to help them mature in their faith. And that's an important part of discipleship. But I need you to understand that discipleship doesn't start at the point that somebody commits their lives to Jesus Christ. Discipleship starts wherever they are in their spiritual journey. They may be way back here far from God. They may not be open to spiritual things at all. They may not even be aware that they have a spiritual void in their lives. But wherever they are, discipleship starts there, and it brings them along the journey to the point that they commit to Christ. And then you move on in the Great Commission to you made disciples. Now what do you do with those disciples? You, what does the verse say? You baptize them and you teach them. That's the job of the church how we doing? So we're in a series leading up to Easter Sunday. We're simply calling Chain Reaction, and we're talking about this idea that what if my event with Jesus becomes a catalytic event that creates other events? In other words, I came to Christ. I help other people come to Christ who come to Christ, who help other people come to Christ, who come to Christ. Who, how long would it take us to reach the known world if we would see our relationship with Jesus as a catalyst in a chain reaction? In the first century, that's exactly how they saw it, and they reached the known world in their lifetimes. We can do it again if we begin to understand that. And so through this series, we are unpacking Mark Middleberg's little formula that, uh, that helps us to be as effective as, that as we can. So let's re rehearse the formula and introduce it to you that are here for the first time today. Here we go. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals what? Maximum 
impact. Last week we talked about this idea of high potency. We're talking about being effective Christians who are effective at doing our jobs and our primary jobs are to be salt and light. And we talked last week. I won't pre-preach the message. You can go to email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you the manuscript. You can study it. But we talked about salt providing flavor and, and delaying decay. We talked about light, illuminating the darkness and dispelling uh, lies. And, and, but we also said that salt is useless as long as it's in the shaker. Light is useless as long as it's hidden. And so we have to not just have potent salt and bright lights, but we have to be in close proximity to those who need that salt and light. Is this making sense? Does that track? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to lean into this close proximity thing and see if we can get a handle on what that actually looks like uh, in our lives in practical kinds of terms. And I want to do that by looking at a story from the life of Jesus, of course, who is our role model in all of this. And in fact, I call it the Jesus model for close proximity. And I want us to unpack that one uh, and, and learn a little bit more about it. it. It comes from what is a fairly familiar story, the story of Zacchaeus, uh, uh, who was a wee little man who climbed a tree. Anybody remember that story? You know that story? You know that story? You know that one, right? Oh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Come on. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. Come on. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house to stay. Yay, you guys did so good. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. Go be Jesus and find some Zacchaeuses. Is a little more to it than that? Let me unpack it for you. What I want to do, you got the story. You got the gist of the story from that little song. Uh, but I, I've identified looking through the story five action steps, five things that we have to do in order to Follow this model that Jesus defined for us called close proximity. I just want to very quickly unpack those five action steps, and then I want to challenge us all to go be in close proximity to the people that desperately need Jesus. Let's get into it. Action step number one is you've got to understand that just because somebody isn't like Jesus doesn't necessarily mean they don't like Jesus. Just because they're not like Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like Jesus. Jesus. Let's get into the story. Luke chapter 19. If you brought a Bible, you can flip there. Go to the Bridge NC app. You can follow along. Maybe you brought your smartphone. We're going to be in Luke 19 mostly this morning. Here we go. Verse 1 through 4. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was... Uh-oh. Lost my notes. There we go. Here we go. And he was a chief collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up to a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So everybody got the picture? Whether my notes are good or not, you got the picture, right? It's this idea, this tax collector who at the time was well known as a thief and a crook and he'd overcharge taxes and skim off the top, became a rich man. That's who this guy is. But he's also a short little guy that can't see over the crowd. So what does he do? He wants to see Jesus so badly, he climbs a tree in order to get a glimpse of him. Here's what I want you to see. Even though he was far from God, even though he had an incredibly ungodly lifestyle, that didn't mean he wasn't interested in knowing God. In fact, I found that a lot of times people who appear to be the furthest from God are the ones who are closest 
to, cre- to committing to him. I, I found the people that push the hardest on me and argue the most about you know, whether this is real or not are the people that are hoping against hope that it is real. And they're often right on the verge of committing their lives to Jesus Christ. Dare I say it's true for most of us that we were far from God at one time? Any, any perfect people from birth, any of you here today? No, we were all far from God at one point, and I dare say there were people that looked at us and said, there ain't no way that, that guy, that gal's ever getting saved. I love to go back to my high school reunions these days because I go back and, and I left uh, Bladenboro right out of high school and haven't been back because I don't have any family left there. One cousin's the only one I have left, and so I don't get back. But, but I go back to high school reunions, and, they, and I'll see people that I haven't seen in 30, 40, 50 years, and, and they'll say, you're a preacher? <laughs> I knew you in high school. you you're a pastor? I mean, you just can't wrap their brain around because they knew me then and they can't imagine that I became who I became. Hear me, guys. There's an awful lot of people, and we've been in that place. We're far from God, and if we aren't careful, we will write them off and say, forget about it. But hear me, you will never reach people who need Jesus if you maintain that attitude toward them. Here's one of the saddest things I see. I see it on Facebook. I hear it in conversations. One of the saddest realities is that Christians quite often have such a judgmental attitude toward people that are far from God. Instead of helping them come to Christ, they actually become obstacles to them finding Christ. And that's particularly true if the sin that they're involved in is uncomfortable to you. We just kind of go, oh, no. They're a lost cause. Oh, no, they can never be. No, that can't work out. And so we actually become obstacles. Because that's what the crowd did. See, this crowd, uh, they knew who Zacchaeus was. He was the tax collector. He was a cheat. And they knew he was shorter than them. But if they loved him, if they cared about him, what would they have done? They'd have said, come on, dude, I know you're shorter than us. Come on, we'll let you get up at the front so you can see. But nobody helped him, and so he had to climb a tree in order to see the Jesus that he wanted to get to know. Please, I beg you, tell me that you're not an obstacle to the people in your life coming to know Jesus because of your attitude toward them. Please tell me that you are a help, not a hindrance, that you are a bridge, not a barricade for those people to come to know Jesus Christ. It's the first step toward helping people come to know Jesus. In fact, if if that's a struggle for you, then please hear me. There's something that you and I have in common with every person on the planet, and that simply is this. Every one of us wakes up every morning desperately in need of Jesus. If we could just come back to that one spot, that one point of common denominator, it'll go a long way to us reaching them instead of hindering them. That's the first action step then is an internal thing in your own hearts. Am I a barricade, a barrier, or am I a bridge? That's the second action step is build a bridge. When you identify somebody that's in your life that needs Jesus, build a bridge to them. Let's go back to our story. Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Here's what I want you to understand. It wasn't just Zacchaeus who wanted a relationship with Jesus. Jesus wanted a relationship with him, and he already knew him. He called him by name, but that wasn't enough. 
He wanted a relationship with him. So what did he do? He called him out. He called him by name and said, dude, get down here because I'm going to go hang out with you today. We're going to be friends. Here's what I need you to hear. Jesus did not start his conversation with Zacchaeus by listing his sins. He could have. He didn't start by telling him all the things that were wrong with him. He could have. Where did he start? He started with a friendship. He started by saying, I want to hang out with you. I want to come to your house. Now, I'm not saying go find some people, need Jesus, and invite yourself for dinner. That's not what I said. Uh, All I'm saying is that your first move in helping to build a bridge between uh, Jesus and the people who need him is not information, it's relationship. It's not informational, it's relational. And you've got to make sure that you start that bridge on a relational kind of level. In fact, it's, it's really common for people that you build a relationship with to be open to you personally way before they're open to your faith. Have you found that to be true? They may, they may like you as a person. They may think you're a cool dude or a really nice gal. They may say, you know, you, you just really got a nice uh, demeanor about you. You seem to roll with the punches, and, and you don't have that complaining spirit. Something about you I just like. And, and so they kind of want to hang out with you. They want to be around you. But if you bring up church, you bring up Jesus. Like, oh, no, no, they don't want to talk about that. That's not uncommon. Don't be surprised by that. I just build a relationship, build a repair, a rapport. In fact, the navigators have a really good way of saying this. They talk about uh, type A and type B unbelievers. Type A unbelievers are people who are open to you but not open to your faith. And type B unbelievers are people that are open to you and they're open to your faith. So the first step in this journey of building this rapport and helping people come to Christ is to help them move from type A to type B. That's your goal. You don't, you don't get them all the way to the cross. You just move them from type A to type B. And how do you do that? Well, there's three things that you do. First, you listen a lot. You listen more than you talk. You listen to what's going on in their lives, and you demonstrate that you care for them. Titus chapter 2, verse 10, show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. How do you make this teaching about God attractive? By showing that you're trustworthy. By being a trustworthy person, by demonstrating that you actually care about them. This is not just another trophy you're going to notch on your belt. I got me another one, you know. This is about a relationship with them that's going to become an eternal relationship. It's cliche, but it's still true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the first step in this journey is listen and care. And I promise you this, in my experience at least, if you listen long enough and care deeply enough, they will eventually open up and tell you what's really going on in their lives. And everybody's hurting somewhere. Hello? We're living in a sin-cursed world. This isn't heaven yet. This is earth. Everybody's hurting somewhere. And if you listen carefully enough and care long enough, they will eventually tell you what's going on in their lives. When you do... Don't rescue them. Don't fix it. Point them to the one who can. When they do, tell them that you found hope in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures say. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so what are you doing? You're not fixing. It is so tempting as Christians because we care. Let me fix that for you. But hear me. If you go fix it for them, you just pointed them to you. You just make them grateful for you. 
And the whole goal is to build a bridge so that Jesus can walk across it because you want them not to know you. You want them to know him. And so what do you do? You're just ready to give an answer for the hope. Yeah, man, I've been through hard times, and it's, it's tough. I know it's tough, and I care. Let me, can I introduce you to my friend? His name is Jesus Christ. It says to me, if they got questions, I, you can answer them. But the main thing you want to give them is not answers. The main thing you want to give them is, is hope. So you build a bridge by listening, by caring, by pointing them to the source of your hope. His name is Jesus Christ. And the third thing you do is pray. Having done that, you begin to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would touch their lives, that he would bring them to him. It's only the Holy Spirit that can change your heart. You can't argue them into the kingdom. You, you can only point them to Jesus and then pray that God will do what God does because only the Holy Spirit knows how to get to their hearts. And so that's what we're doing a lot of between now and his Easter is we're doing a lot of praying. We gave you an invitation kit. I think we've got a picture of it for the screens. We gave you a kit last week. If you weren't here last week, you could get them at the guest services desk. Get one of those kits. Over on the right-hand side, you see what's called the idea card. We're asking you to prayerfully consider five people that you know who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or at the very least you're not sure about that relationship, but you know they're not in church right now. And I want you to write those names down, and I want you to begin to pray every day for those five people. You might think of more, and, and you can make a bigger master list somewhere if you want to, but I want you to identify five people that you know that are unsaved, or at the very least, you're not sure, and they are unchurched, and write those names down. Starting this coming Sunday, a week from today, we're going to begin a 21-day fast as a church family, and we're asking you to fast something during those 21 days. You can go to the website and get my booklet on a biblical understanding of fasting and, and read through that if you want to know more about how to fast and, and what the Bible says about fasting. We've already learned from the video how not to do it, so you can go learn how to do it. But between March 31st and the Saturday before Easter, we're going to go into a 21-day fast. And we're going to be praying not only for our five names, we're going to be praying for each other's five names. On April 13th, on that Saturday, the church is going to be open from 8 to 8 that day. There'll be hosts here all throughout the day. There'll be prayer guides that are available to you. We're asking you to go to the website and register for one of those slots. You can come anytime you want, stay all day if you want, but register for one of those slots because we want to be sure there's somebody praying all day long and this house is filled with prayer through that day. And we're praying for the nation. We're praying for the church, but mostly we're praying for people to come to know Jesus Christ. In fact, we're praying specifically that 50 people will give their lives to Christ through the Bridge Ministries on Easter Sunday weekend. 50 people. How many? 50 people will come to know Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? Would that be amazing if 50 people get saved on Easter weekend? Would that be cool? Well, the only way that's going to happen is if you listen and care and share your hope and pray. Bring them. We'll do our best to preach the gospel, to make it clear, and give them an opportunity to receive their Christ, their, their life, uh, Christ in their lives. Be a bridge, not a barrier. In fact, bridge would be kind of a good name for a church, wouldn't it? We ought, we ought to give some thought to that. Huh? So what business are we in? Making disciples. How's business? I, I don't know. You'll have to ask yourself that question because I'm not the church. The people on stage are not the church. Who's the church? Say, we are. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. He's talking, he's talking about us. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. 
He's talking about us. We are the church. So when I ask you how's business, you have to ask yourself how's business because we are the disciple makers. We're just partnering together to help each other get there. Effectiveness of that requires high potency. We talked about that last week. And close proximity, we have to be in relationship with them so that hope can walk across that bridge in the person of Jesus Christ. Ready for the third action step? This one may surprise you, but if you've been down this road, it won't. And that is you've got to be prepared to be criticized by religious people. If you really take this seriously and you begin to do what I'm talking about today, you've got to be prepared to be criticized by religious people. Jesus certainly was. Look at verse 7 of Luke 15. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's probably not how they said it. They probably said something like, you know what, he, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you see him? He claims to be Messiah, but he is, gone. he is at a sinner's house right now. That's kind of the attitude that they developed. But hear me, guys, Jesus didn't just do this one time with Zacchaeus. He did it the whole time he was here. Just all every time you turn around, he's having dinner with some sinners. You know, that's just what he did. And he caught flack from religious people every time. Here's another example. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why, why does he do that? So there's going to be some of that kind of attitude. I read that verse in fact, I read it this week, and my mind immediately went <clears throat> to a season a few years ago. A lady came to our church in Virginia. She got saved, and, and, uh, and I got to know her a little bit at the church and through some of the involvements and activities we were part of. And one day she asked me to start praying for her husband, Mark, and, and she said he's, he's from New York. He's, he's Jewish. He's not even sure Jesus existed. He's not even sure Jesus is a historical character. And so he really doesn't understand what I'm doing in my life. So would you pray for my husband, Mark? And so we stopped and prayed right then for Mark. And the Lord just put Mark on my heart. And so I finally said, uh, Sharon, could, could I meet Mark? I love to meet him sometimes. She says, sure, let me set that up. We'll, we'll arrange lunch at the house or something, and, and we'll arrange it. And so I went to their house for lunch one day, and I met Mark, and, and we hit it off. I mean, we just kind of clicked somehow. I, I had deck shoes and no socks on that day, and he said, any preacher that will come in my house without socks on is okay by me. Okay, whatever works. I don't care. And we just hit it off. In the course of the conversation, I discovered that he was a Ph.D. in human resource development, and, and we were at a place in our church when the church had, had grown past any church that I'd ever been a part of, and here I am leading it, and I don't know how to lead a large church. And so I said, Mark, would you teach me? I mean, if I buy you lunch once in a while or breakfast once in a while, would you, would you teach me how to do human resource development? Would you teach me how to lead a staff and, and all that kind of stuff? Because, I, I, you know, my training's in Bible and theology. I don't really know this stuff. And he said, man, I'd love to do that. And so we started meeting once a month, twice a month for breakfast, for lunch. And he taught me how to run a staff meeting. And he taught me how to uh, create an agenda at the front end and action steps at the back end. And he just taught me all kinds of stuff about management and organization uh, of, of, of an organization. And I applied it to the church setting. And every now and then at one of those breakfasts, one of those lunches, I'd say, now, Mark, you know, I do have another agenda. I mean, I appreciate what you're teaching me, but I'm hoping along the way that I get to introduce you to my best friend. His name is Jesus. And Mark would say something like, yeah, 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 I got it. Now, when you do your staff meeting, you need to, you, know, you just kind of change the subject. 
11 months into that relationship, it became a genuine friendship. 11 months into that relationship, Mark looked at me and said, so what do I have to give up in terms of my Jewishness to become a Christian? And I said, nothing. You trace your lineage to Abraham by blood, and I trace it by adoption. You know, you give anything up. You just accept that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been looking for. And he said, that's it? And I said, yeah, that's it. He said, I can still have lox and bagels for breakfast. I don't know why you'd want to eat salmon for breakfast, but I guess if you want to, you can. Oh, sure. He said, I, I can still go to the high holy days at synagogue. I said, well, of course, Jesus did. I, I probably should. Uh, I'll go with you next time. He said, okay, where do I sign? That Sunday we had communion at church, and he received communion as a follower of Jesus Christ for the first time in his 45 years of life. But right smack in the middle of that, one of the members of the church found out what was going on and called for an appointment and said, Pastor, I need to see you. I have a word from the Lord for you. Well, you got a word from the Lord. I want to hear it, brother. Tell me what it is. He walked in, sat down, and said, Here's thus saith the Lord, he said, You are sitting in the council of the ungodly. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I heard this week that you're getting training from an unsaved Jew. Uh, I laughed. I went, I, I okay. Yeah, and if I needed to borrow money, I'd go to the bank and I wouldn't check whether he's safe before I borrowed the money either. And if I needed a lawyer, I'd go get somebody to give me legal advice. I wouldn't check if he's safe before I did that either. I don't understand why you think this is a word from the Lord. You know how Jesus answered it? That, that same passage, Mark chapter 9, you know how he answered him, verse 12. On hearing this criticism, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I'm building relationships with these people because I understand their needs and I want to have a relationship with them and so I'm going to be a bridge builder to them. You've got to be prepared when you start going to the places and hanging out with the people who need Jesus, there are going to be some religious people who are going to criticize you for it. Bill Hybels, pastor in Chicago uh, for many years, uh, tells a story about he was very intentional about this sort of thing, and, and he loved racing sailing boats. And so every year he'd put his, his team together for the season of competitive sailboat racing uh, on Lake Michigan, and, uh, and he would always pick a crew that were unsaved, far-from-God kind of people. And during the course of that season, he would introduce them to Jesus. And every year, there'd be one, at least one or two of them that would get saved. And sometimes he'd do their weddings. And, you know, he just really built relationships with these guys. So the problem was at the beginning of the season when they're just getting started, uh, sailboat racers are highly competitive kind of people. And they love to talk smack and all that with each other. So we'd be lined up boat after boat. And we're lined up waiting for the starting gun to come. And the guys on my boat are yelling they're cussing at the other boats. They're, they're telling them they're number one with finger gestures. And, and invariably, I hear somebody say, yeah, that's Pastor Heibel's boat. <laughs> so there's a certain baggage that comes from doing this. But what business are we in? Making disciples. We've got to be willing to accept the criticism of religious people 
in order to do what we're called to do. Number four, though, is critical, and that is if you're going to go down this road, you've got to guard your heart. Understand, when I say build a bridge to these folks, I am not suggesting for a moment that you spend all your time with folks far from God. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you build your primary relationships with people who don't share your biblical values. In fact, that's incredibly dangerous if you do. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You've heard the old saying, You can't soar with the eagles while you're running with the turkeys. You're going to have to make some decisions. In fact, we talked about it in the last series. Your relationships will impact the quality and ultimately the direction of your very life. So you have to be very intentional about the relationships. So how do you build a bridge to people that are far from God and at the same time not get drawn into the world? How do you do that? Well, the answer is you build relationships with people that share your faith and with those who don't. And you open your heart to both groups of people, but you don't open your mind at the same level to both people. I've taught this to you before. If you've been here very long, you've heard me talk about it, but this is a good time to rehearse it. I put it in two circles. We've got a chart. There we go. You put some people in your circle of influence and other people in your circle of concern. You care about both circles. You care about everybody that's in both circles, but you open your heart to both circles, you open your mind to the center circle. What am I saying? I'm saying the people that are that are share your biblical values and are on a journey with you, you put them in your circle of influence. You let them influence your thinking. It's one of the reasons that we emphasize bridge groups around here as much as we do because that creates an environment where you can come together and you can share life and you can pray for each other and encourage each other and challenge each other in the Word of God. Our bridge group this past week, we were in a meeting, and I just simply asked the question, so guys, during this semester that we've been together, what's God been saying to you, and what's been going on in your life as a result of our time together this semester? And, and person after person after person said, you know, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. There's an intimacy that I didn't have before, and it's all centered around this idea of getting into the Bible together and sharing our hearts and praying for each other because there's some in this group that are further along on this journey than I am, and there's some that aren't quite as far along as I am, but we're all helping each other to go there and grow there. Those relationships are huge, and they're incredibly important to you. But then there are other people, those people you're reaching out to, you don't put them in your circle of influence. You put them in your circle of concern because you care about them, but you're not going to let them influence the way you think because your thinking is defined by the Word of God. And you may, you may say, Jim, that feels yucky. That doesn't feel right to to kind of separate people out as, as if I have, you know, this doesn't feel right to me at all. Well, okay, I understand how this can be a struggle, but I'll be honest with you. I've seen people uh, who attend Sunday services, they commit their lives to Christ, but then they kind of settle in. Uh, I call it saved and stuck until one day they start building those kind of reinforcing, influencing relationships, and, and they, they go to the ownership class, and, and they join a bridge group, and they join a serve team, and, and, and this whole new world opens up to them as they begin to let people speak truth into their lives, and they grow on the same token. I've seen people on the other side of the equation who come to church and give their lives to Christ, and they start out strong for the Lord, but they don't think of their relationship 
in these terms. And the result is they never really get grounded in their faith. In fact, they continue to be pulled in both directions and try to live in both worlds until eventually their faith goes stale and they drift and they even fall away. So it's incredibly important that when we start thinking about our job of making disciples, reaching people far from God and building a relational bridge to them that we understand. We've got to have relationships with people who influence us biblically, and, but at the same time, we need those relationships with people who need those values. So you make a commitment to the life-enhancing relationships with the first group and an equal commitment to life-giving relationships with the people in the outer circle, and you care about both, but you don't let both groups influence your way of thinking. Is this making sense? I hope you're thinking right now about some of the relationships in your life, and, and if you've been allowing people that are far from God and who don't operate from a biblical understanding, a biblical worldview, if you've been allowing them to influence your way of thinking, I hope you'll put a guard on your mind because they will eventually draw you back into that world and you'll lose the joy that you found. The problem for many of us, the larger problem perhaps, is that the longer we're Christians, the fewer unsaved people we know. Is that right? Yeah, before you know it, you're going to church, you're in a group, you're on a serve team, you're, you're, uh, you, you play golf, you play with your Golf buddies are all Christians. You go shopping, you call your Christian girlfriends. You need a plumber, you call a Christian plumber. Everybody you know, your whole world, are all saved people. And before you know it, you don't have a relationship with somebody that, that, that you can put in your sphere of concern because they're all saved. John R. Stott calls them rabbit hole Christians. We go down into our Christian world, and every now and then we pop out, but it pop up, but it's only to, to, to go to the next Christian event we're going to. Before you know it, we don't know anybody that's unsaved. If we do, we don't have a relationship with them. We have no influence in their lives. So there's nobody in our circle of concern. As a pastor, that's a real challenge for me because I do spend most of my time with Christians, and so I have to be very intentional about making sure that I have relationships uh, to put into my circle of concern, my, my favorite one, and as warm weather comes, I'll tell you about it, and, I, and I'll make that offer to you guys. My favorite one through the years has been about golf because I enjoy the game of golf. I just rarely get a chance to play. I just can't justify doing it unless it fits one of these categories. And so here's what I say to you. I will play golf with any one of you on any Friday that you want to set it up. That's my day off. But here's what you have to do. You have to finish out the foursome, and at least one member of that foursome has to be an unsaved, unchurched person, and I get to ride with him. I ain't going to preach to him. I understand it's relational, not informational, but let me ride with him and let me build a rapport. I've done this so many times over the years, and by the time we get to hole 18, they're the one that brings up the spiritual conversations. Give me an opportunity to do that, and I'll do it. Pastor Andy does the same thing. He volunteers with the, with the Rosewood Fire Department. Why does he do that? Because it puts him in the world where he can be salt and light in close proximity. Whatever your systems are, you may you know, coach your daughter's soccer team. I don't know what you do, but you get out there. You get in the world. You be engaged. Colonel McPite's one of our elders. I just saw him. He told me he leaves his Bible open on his desk at work on Seymour Johnson. That's not an overt thing, but it's a clear message that if you want to have a conversation, I'm ready for a conversation. So you find ways 
to connect with the, with the world that doesn't know Jesus in order to build a bridge instead of being a barrier. So let me just say quickly, and we'll move on. We'll wrap this up to you that are seekers. And I love our church because this is a place where people can come and investigate Christianity, and, and that may be where you are. If that's who you are, I hope what you're hearing me say is we care deeply about you. We care about your eternity. You matter to God, and you matter to us. We're not here to hit you over the head with a Bible and tell you how bad you are because I got stuff, you got stuff, all God's children got stuff. We're just on a journey together. We just want you to know Jesus. For the Bridge family, I honor you for the way that you come here week after week, not just to get but to give, to serve. Uh, This is one of the most welcoming churches on the planet. But at the end of the day, we got to get out of here. we got to be in close proximity to the people that need Jesus. And when we do... When we do these things, when we understand that just because somebody isn't like Jesus doesn't mean they don't like Jesus, and we build a bridge to them by listening and, and, and caring and not rescuing but pointing them to hope and then praying, and then don't let the religious critics discourage us from doing it and ultimately guard our minds so that we're not influenced by the world, then step number five is you prepare to celebrate. You prepare to celebrate. Let's go back to our story and we'll wrap it up. Verses 8 through 10, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. You understand what's going on? Is I used to value money over everything, and now I've found something more valuable than money, so I'm giving it away. I just don't even want it anymore because I found something that is of higher value. Something changed in his heart, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And here's our verse, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I read a lot of statistics and research about the American church. I think probably one of the saddest stats I know is that 95% of Christians have never had the joy of being in a moment like that when somebody said, What do I need to do to become a Christian? Well, let me pray with you now. And I want that for you guys because there is a joy, there is a celebration, there is an excitement. It's kind of like two parents having a baby and there is potential and life and joy and excitement that comes from this new life that sprung forth and you get to enjoy that. I want that for you and I hope as challenging as this may be and as scary as this may be that you'll start building this into your life and your way of relating to Jesus Christ not just in relationship with him but as sons and daughters of God who have inherited the family business. What business are we in? It is the business of making disciples. And when you do, not only will you know the joy of having helped someone find eternal life, but you'll hear the master say one day, Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. That's what I want for you. Would you join me in that prayer now? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the challenge that you've put in our hearts today and for the way it forces all of us to think about 
the way we live our lives and the people we have around us and how we relate to those people. I pray in the quietness of this moment that you would speak to each of us with clarity to understand that our attitude sometimes is more of a barrier than a bridge. If I have any attitude that would keep anybody from coming to know you, I pray that you would convict me of it and forgive me, give me a fresh start. That my job ultimately is to be a bridge. Not just go to a church called the bridge, but to be the church that is a bridge to people that need you desperately. Are you praying with me, guys? Lord, when I step across that line and I make that decision to be a bridge, when religious people see me hanging out with sinners and laughing with some people that are far from God and they get critical, help me not to get discouraged by that. Just remind me that I'm doing what you put me on this planet to do. At the same time, Lord, guard my heart that I won't be influenced by people far from God, that my mind will be stayed on you and fixed on your word. Help me to help them, to influence them instead of them influencing me so that they can know you. Then help me, Lord, to just be ready to give an answer for the hope that I found and celebrate the joys of an eternal friend because Jesus is in the mix. Lord, you know who's praying. You know what's going on across this room and across the world online. You know exactly what's going on. I pray that you would speak to us as only you can. Thank you for the souls that are going to come to know you because of our commitment to do life your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope you've heard my heart. We're not here to beat anybody up. We're not here to hit you over the head with a two-ton Bible, but we are here to say there is hope in Jesus Christ, and we'd like nothing better than you to find that. Let us pray with you. In fact, 1 John 4, 9 says it this way. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. Jesus didn't just come to Zacchaeus that day and know him by name. He's coming to you, and he knows your name. Don't push him away. Hear his invitation to come to him. We'd love to help you on that journey. Would you stand with me? The altars are open. There's the opportunity for you to come and pray with folks today. Take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, we've got a guest gathering today. If you're new to the church and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you out by the coffee shop. Stop by for a minute and let me say hello. Some of the other staff members will be there. We'd love to, to meet you and get to know you a little bit. We're so thrilled that you're here. Next Sunday is Student Ministry Sunday. Be a part of that. Celebrate. Let's support our teenagers. Make every effort to be here. We'll pick up the series the week after. God bless you. Thank you, Father, for bringing us to this place. Send us from this place as your ambassadors to the world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.